Welcome back to the swamp my friends and welcome if you're new. Today we're going to be sharing some creepy and downright strange and chilling unexplained horror stories. These stories are going to range from the paranormal to the straight up just unexplainable. As always, these stories are sent in by viewers just like you. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. As always, be sure to like this episode, be sure to subscribe if you're new, and get ready for some creepy and allegedly true unexplained paranormal horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. The Presence in My Home by Grace M. This story is short and doesn't really have a proper ending or anything, but I'm excited about telling someone about it since I have always been fascinated with the paranormal. I sense a frequent presence in the house I grew up in for all of my teen years and the place my parents still live in to this day. When we moved into the house in 2014, nothing immediately started happening, but I felt eerie in the middle floor's living room and dining room. At first, it was just a feeling, but it grew to be more. For some layout, this house has three floors, and I only feel this presence on the middle one. You can see these two rooms from the kitchen, which is also on the middle floor. My room is upstairs. It's not necessarily an evil or menacing presence, but you can feel somebody or something staring at you with intent. Whenever I'm in the kitchen at night, I tend to have my eyes glued on the two rooms and all my senses heighten. A few years after moving in, we, we did adopt a new dog, and for the first few months, things seemed to be okay. But the longer he spent inside the house, he stares out into the living room and dining room and just growls. He would do this frequently, didn't matter if it was the day or night. Eventually, he would stop doing this, which made me feel maybe like he was okay with the presence and didn't see it as a threat, or maybe he just got used to it. It eased my mind, for better or for worse. One night around 3am, I went downstairs to refill my water glass from the fridge. I turned my head to watch the living room and dining room like usual, but tonight, there was a shadow figure in the dining room. It was tall, it had to be over six foot or so, thin, a little broad but skinny, and clearly a man. This shadow was utterly black, it wasn't see-through at all. I stared at the figure what could have been maybe only two seconds before it quickly moves into the living room and disappears from my sight. I froze in fear trying to understand what could have been happening in front of me. I thought about going into the rooms, but I didn't. I was too scared. I immediately wondered if my grandpa, who had passed away shortly after, moved into the house. I still consider this a theory since the presence was non-threatening towards all of us and I don't even know if ghosts are real. But if they were, I would assume they'd probably move in with loved ones, right? But he had never been to the place in his life, so I honestly have no idea. Additionally, this house is pretty young. It was built in the 1980s, so uh, I do think it's him. I don't know why he would attach himself to only these two rooms, though, especially since he's never been to the house. I didn't talk about this with anyone for a while, but eventually I told my mom about everything I saw and felt in those rooms. 
She told me she had also seen the same figure I described in the same place. Then she told me a few times when she had heard someone walk on the carpet behind her and there was no one there. Little things like that would occasionally happen to both of us. In addition, my brother's girlfriend got creeped out when we told her this for the first time, saying that one of the times she stayed there with our family in that house, she had sleep paralysis and saw that figure. She said the figure didn't do anything malicious necessarily. They just stood in the corner of the room and, in her words, seemed to only watch curiously. However, apparently these things never happened to my brother or dad, which is strange. I still stay in this house frequently when I visit my parents, and nothing specific has happened since, but I'm always watching for it. Is it possible for presences to be harmless or without intentions? Or me and my mom just seeing things? If anyone knows about harmless hauntings or hauntings of possible loved ones, I'd love to hear about it. I still feel like I'm being watched from that side of the house, but it doesn't bother me as much anymore. Thank you for your time, Swamp Dweller. I love what you do. Killer Clown by Connor P. There's been a resurgence in killer clown sightings lately, and I heard one from a friend recently that left me shook. My friend's kids go to Hamilton Middle School in Denver, and he and some buddy of his were hanging out in the Tamarack Square by the Old Dollar Movie Theater. There's a large storm drainage system underneath the parking lot that lets out into a small creek area where you can enter the storm sewer, which is exactly what they were doing that evening. It's a pretty popular activity in the area, as there's not much else for young adults to do here. At any rate, there's the main passage, with concrete tunnels snaking their way through the shopping center, creating a virtual maze of putrid standing water not to mention the occasional dead rat or dirty needle. There's a ton of graffiti everywhere and allegedly they were down there taking pictures of the graffiti when they noticed a dark red, almost a black substance smeared across the wall. Realizing that something was off, they began making their way back out of the labyrinth. Here's where things get uh, creepy to say the least. They thought they could hear a faint clinking sound as when metal meets metal. Come on, man, one of the boys said. We need to get out of here now. The problem was, every turn they seemed to take took them deeper into the maze and away from the entrance to the storm system. At one point, they started panicking and running down the cramped quarters. My friend's son tripped and fell, and from the ground he saw something truly horrific. There was a man standing in front of them in a clown costume, barreling down the tunnel at them from behind. He leapt to his feet and caught up to the rest of the group who had apparently left him behind. They could finally see the entrance to the tunnel, and he shouted at them to run. Stumbling out into the dry creek bed, they turned around just in time to see the clown man standing in the tunnel entrance glowering. He said the man had steak knives attached to his hand somehow, and he was clinking them together in some sort of menacing fashion. They ran out of the ditch and called their parents who called the police, who said they checked it out, but didn't seem to take their claims very seriously and even threatened to charge them all with trespassing. Well, kids will be kids and of course the boys told their classmates, who told their friends, and word quickly got around that there was a killer clown in the tunnels down under Tamarack Square, which spurred on a wave of kids going down there trying to see the clown. Imagine Blair Witch Project, but on steroids. 
Several other children claimed to have seen the clown after that. One boy said it was dragging its dagger-like fingers down the side of a tunnel. Another one said they saw it crawling at them. And then no killer clown hysteria would be complete without the old clown trying to lure small children in with magic doves and sleight-of-hand tricks. Luckily, there's been no mention of red balloons yet, but I'd imagine that's only a matter of time. My Experiences with Ghosts by Beatrix I want to share some experiences with ghosts and the paranormal with you that I've had. I was raised in a moderately religious home. My family is Lutheran, and although I was never much of a believer, I am very spiritual. I've always been, I suppose you could say, sensitive to spirits and I can sense them and see them in my mind's eye. The first story happened when I was somewhere around 14 years old. At the time, me and my sisters and my dad were staying at my grandpa's house. My grandpa's house is an old farmhouse that is roughly around 100 years old, and at the time, my sisters and I were staying in our grandpa's trophy room. For those who do not know, a trophy room is a big game hunter's dream. It's like my grandpa's trophy case, where all of the stuff like trophies, heads, and animals are displayed. My grandpa's trophy room is vast in about two stories and a field floor to ceiling with trophies. Bison, deer, big cats, bears, zebra, wolves, it's honestly insane. If it's huntable, it's probably in this room. And you might think that sleeping in this room with all these animals, these dark, lifeless eyes looking at you in the giant windows at night would be creepy. And you're right, it was. But this room was a newer addition, especially compared to the rest of the house. However, after a while, we moved to sleep in the upstairs bedroom. And you might think that this would be preferable. However, I can safely say I slept far better in the trophy room than I ever did upstairs. Now, my room was at the end of this hallway towards my grandpa's room, and it was small and more isolated from the other rooms my sisters were staying in, and I often felt not alone, if you know what I mean. Even during the day, if I were alone in the house, I always felt like someone was right beside me or just outside the room. I swear I would hear bumps and noises. I know it was an old house, and there were probably some mice or creaking pipes, but still it was hard to explain because I usually felt like I was being watched intently, especially in the old parts of the house. This feeling never followed to the newer features of the place though, like the trophy room or the kitchen. I never saw anything or anyone, and neither did my sisters. Still, eventually, we all got so creeped out by this energy and this feeling that we all ended up sleeping together in one room. After some time, my dad got a new job and we didn't have to stay with my grandparents anymore. Still. I would continue to work for him over the summers during my teens and stay there. I would work alone, painting windows, barn doors, decks, or ground maintenance, like grass keeping and stuff like that. I would usually feel watched like someone was in the window just watching me work, and it never felt friendly. Just like it had felt when I stayed there when I was younger. It was a heavy, oppressive feeling. Like you were trespassing. Anyways, at some point during those years, I found out from my dad the original family who had built the farmhouse, the father, was buried on that land somewhere. So I believe this farmer was watching me and still is in that house. Even when I visit my grandparents' house to this day, 
I wouldn't say I like to go upstairs alone. And there are certain parts of the house, especially the basement, which is a dirt floor in some regions, that feel almost evil and certainly unwelcome. That heavy, oppressive feeling is still there and probably always will be. My Friend, Miv, by Anonymous. I've always wanted to share this story. I've heard many paranormal stories and there's always a little voice of doubt in terms of the storyteller's authenticity. But while these events didn't happen to me, they did happen to someone I was very close with and contain a few elements of corroboration. It's important for me to get a feeling for honesty when listening to a story that defies scientific belief. So, for what it's worth, this is an honest account. First, a little backstory. Miv was a fascinating woman. She was one of my best friends, which is a little odd because I met her when I was about 18 years old, and she was in her middle ages. I was a young guy into motorcycles and rock music. I played guitar and was into horror movies and working out. As a contrast, she was short, dumpy, had thin greasy hair, a walking stick, and wore thick bottle rim glasses. She was never without a cigarette in her hand, and her ashtray was always full. However, she was an unbelievable, astute, and wise woman, to the point where she was like a wise old oracle to me and my hippie friends. There was never a personal problem she could not fix with a few gentle words. I would often go to her tall, slightly creepy Victorian terrace house, and we would sit in her favorite room and chat philosophically. The air full of smoke and surrounded by dusty antiques and the odd stuffed bird. Her husband was, by all accounts, a wretched man. His nickname, by all, was The Wizard. Their house was pretty much all wood floors, narrow but tall. He wore an orthopedic shoe, known colloquially as a club foot. You'd hear him coming and clomping down the wood stairs from a mile away. As his nickname suggested, he had long gray hair and a little goatee that resembled a stereotypical devil. He always wore a gray suit and had wild staring eyes. He didn't seem altogether and right in his mind. That was apparent during any conversation you would have with him. I don't mean he was like crazy, more like he was old, significantly older than Miv, and his mind was just a little aged. When he was younger, he also gained a reputation for black magic. One brief account I heard was that there was a black magic circle known for their dark deeds, something like the Golden Dawn or something like that. Well, they wouldn't let him join because he was too dark. Suffice to say, he was probably into summoning things. Anyway, over the years before Miv died, we became very close, and I heard all kind of cool stories. The story I'm about to recount is, I guess, not so cool. At least not for her. But it's an interesting one. Years ago, when she and her husband were living in South Wales in the UK, they lived in a similar house to the one that I knew that she lived in. A tall, slightly spooky, aren't they all, Victorian terrace house. These houses were usually three stories, maybe a basement. I've lived in one myself, and they're inherently spooky, which kind of sets the tone. At the time, Miv and the wizard had just had their first child, who would grow up to become one of my best friends about 24 years later. She had also, she had also, not too terribly long ago, come out of a brief stint in a nun's convent, so she was very religious. 
With that came certain beliefs and attitudes which would soon be very much tested to breaking points. I'm not able to be exact with the timeline here, but Miv told me that she started hearing voices, distant at first, in the house, when no one was around. As if often the case in many of these stories, she shrugged it off and ignored it as best she could, but then the voices started to address her directly. Now at this stage, she recalls being very worried that she was in fact unwell, and her biggest fear was that her son would get taken away from her due to her inability to take care of him. So, she told no one. The voices got worse and eventually would start saying things like, We're going to drive you mad. And she would say things like that, and so forth. If that wasn't enough though, she would soon start to see a dark shadowy figure at the top of the stairs. She told me that it would always appear in such a way that as you turned to look to see if there was something there, you'd almost stumble at the top of these steps and fall to your death. Still, she refused to talk about it. In her mind, and with her religious beliefs, there was no room for ghosts to exist, so it was a subjective phenomenon, and she was indeed losing her marbles. In this house, they had a cleaner. The cleaner would always leave the front door wide open when she was cleaning the stairs in the hall. Miv assumed it was to get fresh air, maybe to help dry the floor. One day, when it was cold, Miv questioned her, Why do you keep that door open? It's so cold. Her response changed Miv's life at this point. She said, It's so if that dark thing at the top of the stairs comes for me, I can get out of here right quickly. Again, bear in mind that Miv had not told anyone about this phenomenon. One day, she had a friend over. The friend was a big, burly, tough woman who stood no nonsense. She didn't believe in any of this supernatural rubbish and was not afraid of ghosts. After sitting in their living room and this lady giving Miv something of telling her off for being so silly and superstitious, the lady got up to go to the bathroom. She came back a moment later, her face white. You okay? said Miv. Can you come with me? replied the lady. Because you don't know where the bathroom is? No, because I'm not going up there on my own with that dark shadow. Another story shared with me was that Miv was bathing her son in the upstairs bathroom when someone knocked on the front door to the house. She yelled down to them, and it turned out to be a friend, so she shouted for him to come up and that she was in the bathroom. She heard him walk up the stairs. He then suddenly broke into a sprint, came running into the bathroom, threw his arms around Miv, and clung to her like a baby terrified of what he had just seen. Eventually, it all came to a head when this entity started to entice her into something more sinister. She recalls hearing the voices beckoning her upstairs to the dark top floor bedroom. The weird thing here, and what's hard to explain, if only because I don't quite understand it, is that she felt compelled to obey. It got her up the stairs. She would stop. She would resist, and it would gently insist that she continues upward. And again, she would obey against her will. This happened all the way until she got to the bedroom with the lights out. If I recall correctly, the thing asked her to turn the lights out, and she at first said no, but again it insisted. This is crazy, I know. It eventually got her to lie down on the bed. Laying there in the dark, she then described how this entity began to assert itself onto and into her body. She described it like assault, but through her pores if that makes any sense. 
She began an internal struggle at this stage, and in that struggle was able to draw some willpower to call out the name of Jesus or something like that. I forgot whether she said a small prayer, but some form of religious statement, and the thing went away instantly. I'm sure there are many other anecdotes. The other friends in our circle know of these stories too and have probably heard their own tales. So, I may be missing a few key pieces. All I know is that they shortly moved out of that house. Now, one thing that does stand out as interesting, after discussing the story with a mutual friend who knew Miv for years before I met her, he told me that she'd also said this to him, but around that time that they left the house for good, she saw the wizard kneeling and burying something, and it was thought that he was doing something. Whatever he was doing, though, resembled a closing ceremony for when someone summons a demon. I know some of this won't make any sense, and I don't really expect it to. Why would you stay married to someone that evil, though? I asked myself that question. In fact, you know something? I asked her that same question at least once. She took a long drag on her cigarette, gave a long, slow shrug as she exhaled, and said something about feeling sorry for him. The whole dynamic will have me scratching my head. Miv was incredibly wise in some ways, and yet nonsensical in other ways, but there seemed to be more to that family story than meets the eye. Eventually, they would have a daughter, who was born physically and mentally disabled. The daughter is only surviving family of the member now. My friend, her son, died of cancer about seven years after I met both him and his mother. The wizard died around that same time, too, and Miv heartbroken over the death of her son, died just two years after we buried him. She used to say, When I die, I'm going to haunt you, in her usual playful way. Eyes twinkling, taking a drag of a cigarette. She meant to come back and give me a clue about the other side. After attending her son's funeral, I was walking on the waterfront of my hometown. I was thinking about them both, and I felt tearful. I sat on the seawall and spoke to her, I asked her why she didn't come to me to show me any evidence of the other side. I concluded, well, maybe she tried, but I can't see it. Maybe I can only see what I can only see. I stood up to walk away, and something compelled me, I don't know what or why, to look down where I was sitting. There, etched into the very slab of concrete I was sitting on, was the first, initial, and the last name of her son, who we had buried two days before. Small Town Haunting by Lynn Dear Swamp Dweller, I've been listening to your stories for a while. I finally got the courage to share my own. Mind you, the story at the beginning will be a bit hazy, as it happened to me when I was five. But as my story goes on, because it continued until I was 22, it will become much clearer. When I was growing up, I lived in a small town in Ohio. To protect my family and friends, their names will be changed. Now, I have an older sister who I will call Lucy. We live in a small trailer outside of a small town literally in the middle of nowhere. It would take us 20 minutes to get to any major stores. One night, my sister Lucy was inviting her friend who I will call Jesse over to spend the night and have a sleepover. At the time, me and my sister had shared a room. Jessie was one of my sister's odd friends. She was gothic and into creepy stuff. Not to say there's anything wrong with that, but I was just kind of off-put by it at the time. So, she had brought over a Ouija board. Me being five years old, not understanding the significance of it, I thought it was just some kind of board game. Well, 
Later that night, I want to say sometime around midnight, my sister Lucy and her friend Jesse pulled out the Ouija board and told me to go to bed. After putting a ring of salt around my bed and around them saying it would protect us, well, being a little kid, I wanted to see what the big kids were doing. They turned off all the lights and lit a couple of candles. Both sat cross-legged on the floor with their hands on the indicator. Now, I'm not really sure what it's called. Then, they started asking questions. Within a few minutes, they started receiving answers. Both did the normal reaction, which was, did you move it? And they kept blaming each other. After a few minutes, they realized that neither one of them were doing it, and there was an outside force moving it. At one point, whatever was doing it asked them to both lay on the floor. I remember this very clearly. Maybe about five to ten seconds after they laid on the floor, I saw a red orb and white orb enter the room. I was so confused, and I had no idea what was going on. Then, as I watched from my bed, I saw the red orb enter my sister, and the white orb enter Jesse. For a few moments, nothing happened. Neither one of them moved. Then it was like all hell broke loose. Dark shadow figures swarmed over me in my bed. I started to scream. My mother heard all the commotion, and when she came in, I was being lifted off the bed by my hair. My sister and her friend were stuck to the floor and could not move. My mother started chanting something. I couldn't for the life of me tell you what it was that she said. But whatever it was, it worked. I felt my bed and my sister and her friend both sat at the same time. My mother looked at them and then looked at me. She saw the Ouija board on the floor and asked my sister and her friend what they had done. When neither one of them would answer, she asked me. I told her what I saw and what had happened. My mother was angry at my sister and her friend. She took the Ouija board away and went outside to burn it. As I would later learn, that is not the thing to do. For ten years after that, nothing happened. My parents had bought a double-wide trailer and put in a basement foundation to make it look like a real home. When building all of this, we had a lot of problems. The biggest problem that I could remember when we were doing the basement foundation and the back wall of the foundation, it fell in. We chalked it up to nothing but natural occurrences, but it kept happening, and it was a pain in the butt to get it to stay up. I don't even remember what they ended up doing to make sure it didn't happen again. The year I turned 15, my mother had gone to an antique store and bought an antique mirror. She hung it above a 55-gallon aquarium. One day, me, my sister, and my mother were sitting in the dining room. We are all talking about mundane things about our lives. All of a sudden, we heard something running through the house and then a child's laughter, and then my bedroom door slam. Me and my mother and my sister both looked at each other in shock and horror. We had no idea what had just happened. Things continued to get worse from there. There was one morning during the summer I had woken up late from staying up all night. My mother had been working a 70-hour work week and had the day off, so she was sleeping in too. When I walked out into the kitchen, I screamed because all the cabinet doors were open and all the dishes were stacked on the counters. It was insane because there were like canned vegetables on top of them, balanced in ways that were just not natural. This was stacked in a way that would be extremely odd for any human being to do. When my mother heard the scream, she came out of her bedroom and saw what had happened. She had started to put the pieces together, so she did her best to seek help. 
She talked to my father about it. My father was a skeptic, and he had never really, you know, witnessed any of these events, so I don't really think he believed in any such thing. This ends up in an argument between the two of them. Eventually, my mother just waited until he was away for work to go to a Wicca priestess to ask for help. The priestess gave her things to bless the house with. She sent me away to one of my friends, and called my sister over who had moved out a while back for some help. I do not know the events that occurred that night. I do not know what really went down, but for at least a year things were okay after that. Until one night, I was in the living room. The way our living room was set up was that we had one large couch, which was set up against the window, next to an end table. On the other end was another end table and a love seat so it was shaped like an L, with the coffee table in the middle. Next to the other end table, at the end of the large couch, was the TV stand. We also had a fireplace in the living room, which was across from the large couch directly opposite. It was a weekend, and I was working on a project for school. My parents were out grocery shopping, so I sat at the coffee table on the floor, working on my project, while watching TV with my back to the fireplace. Suddenly, I got the strange feeling like something was watching me. I started looking around, and then I looked at the fireplace. I noticed movement in the fireplace. As I kept on looking at the fireplace intently, I noticed a face. Whatever this thing was, had scraggly hair with cat-like eyes that were green in the most demonic smile I could ever imagine. It had what looked like alligator teeth. I was so entranced by it. I kept on staring at it, and then I decided to draw it. It moved its head back and forth, and finally, it said something to me. It said, I've been with you for many years, and I will never leave. Even when you think I'm gone, I'll still be there. At this point, being scared out of my mind, I ran to grab my house phone and called my mother and told her she needed to get home now. When her and my father got home, they asked me what I was doing in their bedroom. They could see me from the window while they were driving up the driveway. I told them I hadn't even left the living room. I was too scared to move. My parents did not believe me because my mother got upset and told me I shouldn't be telling stories. Two weeks after this event was when things really got bad. My father was away on work again. Me and my mother were sitting in the living room watching TV together. As we were watching TV, we started hearing bangs on our front door. My mother went to check on what it was, and there was no one there. She sat back down and started watching TV with me again. Then we heard footsteps running across the house from my bedroom to their bedroom and the door slamming. The laughter of a child followed it again. Me and my mother both looked shocked to each other. The cabinet doors in the kitchen all started opening and closing and banging hard like somebody was angry. The mirror above the fish tank started vibrating and banging off the wall. At this moment, me and my mother both stood up and ran for her bedroom. She went to her side table and pulled out sage candles and the Bible. She lit the candles and the sage and started repeating a verse from the Bible. I started to become angry and felt sick all of a sudden. After about 20 minutes of her just repeating the verses, everything stopped. She asked me if I was okay, to which I replied I did not feel very well. She put her hand on my forehead and realized I was burning up. A few hours later, after we cleaned up everything, I felt fine. The fever was gone. Many years later, I'd entered a bad relationship. When I was around 22, 
me and my ex decided to go on a night drive. It had been raining for quite a few days and we wanted to get out of the house. We were coming down a steep hill and all of a sudden, something was before us. When I say something, I knew exactly what it was. It was the same scraggly figure I had seen in my fireplace all those years ago. But this time it had a body and it was about six foot tall and it had long claws for hands. My ex slammed on the brakes to try to avoid it, and we swerved past it. It reached out towards the car, trying to scratch out at us. Our tires blew out, and he started swerving uncontrollably down a hill with a curved bottom with an embankment. We went over the embankment, and we landed on a bush allowing us to land softly, luckily. My ex had hit his head on the window on the driver's side. I had been wearing my seatbelt and was not injured too bad. He was unconscious for roughly five minutes. Well, I was trying to get out of the car to get help. We landed on the opposite side, so the only way out of the car was through my door on the passenger side. When he finally came to, he helps me open the passenger door and climb out. Mind you, in this moment we were both in shock. He decided he was going to walk back to his house and pull the car out with his truck. He told me to stay there and wait. As I did, the figure appeared again, this time within ten feet of me. It spoke without moving its mouth with that same demonic smile. I believe it was trying to say something to me, but I couldn't decipher it this time. My ex started coming down the hill with his truck. When the light hit the figure, it disappeared. I didn't tell him what happened. I was too scared and I thought I was still in shock. A few months later, me and him broke up. I have not seen him since, although I have heard about him. And things in his life have gone bad. I don't know if it was the creature's doing or if it was just karma. I do know when I speak about these events that they send chills down my spine. I have not seen the figure since that day. I pray that I never will again. I don't know if it came from the Ouija board or not, but I refuse to have one in my home or around me. Sorry this was long-winded, but this really did happen. I hope you decide to share this on your show. I love listening to your stories and hope you continue with it. Traumatic Events I Can't Quite Explain by Yumi L. So this happened quite a few years back. I was a recent graduate, working as a low-paid radio presenter on the local television, dating a man much older than me, Jordan, a renowned artist and writer. Our relationship was never as close as I would have wanted it to be. The excuse of work and other personal issues would have always stood in the way. His mom had recently suffered a stroke, so we were all busy tending to her in some way, even though she was extraordinarily headstrong and independent. A professional stylist would come over to her apartment every week, fix her hair, paint her nails, etc. Despite her slight immobilization and health condition, she was adamant about maintaining her physical appearance. I often visited her, and we talked over coffee and countless cigarettes. One day, I stayed the night with my boyfriend. I was busy making breakfast for us all the following day. His mother was still in bed sleeping longer than usual. Jordan decided if it was time to wake her up since the food was almost ready. He entered her room only to exit almost immediately, swiftly walking over to me where I saw what had just occurred. Confused, I asked what was going on, and in a calm voice, he quickly said, Go home. She's gone. I don't want you to see this. I immediately knew what had happened and grabbed my coat to leave. 
The next few days were a blur for us all. I was called over for a final open casket viewing before they transported her body to a nearby city where she was to be cremated then buried. As soon as it started, it was all over and calm again. The funeral was over and Jordan was now home. I went over to his apartment to spend some time with him and comfort him. Our close friend had traveled to pay her respect and we invited her to stay the night before she traveled back the following day. I was pacing the living room up and down, suddenly feeling emotions welling up in me stronger than I was ready for. I looked up at the grandfather clock sitting against a wall when I noticed the arrows going backward, then forward again, in a systematic pattern. I stayed transfixed on it for quite a few seconds, not quite believing what I had seen. When I finally snapped out of it and decided to check the clock for some sort of issue and check the other clocks in the room to make sure I wasn't going crazy, I hadn't even thought to turn the lights on. So it took me a second to focus my eyes, but when I did, I was not even surprised to see the clocks in the room were all acting up at the same time. A happy, sad feeling washed over me and I shouted for Jordan and our friend to come see. They were just as surprised as I was, but no one seemed afraid. We all just kind of smiled knowingly. Even in the so-called afterlife, his mother kept her sense of humor alive. Eventually, we quieted down and sat on the living room sofa to watch TV before bed. It was around 11pm when the screen unexpectedly turned to static. My boyfriend stood up, almost likely to go slam his hand on the TV in an attempt to fix it, when the sudden static turned to a complete black screen with a message in the corner saying, Sleep 3. Jordan stood in the complete dark room, shocked, looking at this TV, a few steps away from it. His hand was around his waist, staring down at the screen. The message soon disappeared, turning back to static. We all let out a small chuckle, and then promptly turned off the TV, listening to the news. We all made our way to bed. Nobody was alarmed, really, but we were all kind of freaked out. It was definitely unsettling, but we'd like to think it was just a way for his mom to say goodbye. My Aunt's Spooky House by Anonymous I have an aunt that lives in a haunted house. The house was built in the late 1800s. The house has a weird setup. It is technically two separate identical houses conjoined as one big house. According to my mom, the house was owned by two women that were twins. With each twin living on their own side and each side connecting through a staircase in the attic. Legend has it that the twins had an uncle that did bad things to them. That ended in one of the twins getting pregnant and having a baby. The other twin smothered the baby, ending in both twins committing suicide. Weirdly, almost every family member that has ever had the misfortune of sleeping over at that house has left with a story to tell. To my own dismay, I have on two different occasions experienced something here. The summer after I graduated 8th grade, my older cousin was getting married out of state. Not all of our family from our state could go, so just me and my aunt went. We had a very early flight to catch, so she figured it would be better if I spent the night at her house. I asked if I could sleep in her room. When she asked why, I was direct and told her because the house was haunted. As usual, she shrugged it off and angrily disputed that there were no ghosts, she said. If it will make you feel a little bit better, you can stay in my room. As night drew near, I went to the bathroom, to the medicine cabinet, and took sleep medicine, in hopes it would make me fall asleep before my aunt. Sure enough, it didn't. My aunt dozed off and I lay wide awake and scared, 
occasionally switching my eyes from looking at the TV to glance at the hallway through the open door. A couple of hours passed and nothing happened. I started to let my guard down and relax just a little bit. I got a little more comfortable in the bed and, out of nowhere, the closet doorknob started to frantically rotate as if someone was trying to get out. I immediately sat up, wide awake and in panic mode. The remaining hours of the night I stayed awake in fear watching the closet door, not sure who or what was trying to open it, but to this day, I'm happy it never did. Years later, the summer after I graduated college, I spent the night over at her house again. Like the previous time, we were traveling out of town the next day, and my aunt figured it would be better if I spent the night at her house, so we could catch an early flight the next morning. I unhappily obliged. As we retired for the night, I headed to the room where I would be sleeping. It was the room down the hall from my aunt's. I closed the door, put on my PJs, and sat down on the recliner in front of the TV. I had already mentally prepared myself and had expected to stay awake the entire night. The beginning of the night, I browsed the web of my phone to pass some time. A couple of hours passed and nothing was happening. So, as soon as the clock approached 3am, I began to hear what sounded like heeled shoes walking. Whatever it was walked up the stairs down the hall and stopped right outside the room I was in. I immediately jumped up, went to the heavy day bed in the room and pushed it in front of the door to prevent whatever it was from opening the door. The walking continued. Again and again. It would start from the base of the stairs and go up the stairs and down the hall, each time stopping right outside the door of the room I was in. Despite barricading the door, closed, I was still scared. To lighten up the tense atmosphere, I turned on a channel that had some stand-up comedy and tried to watch that, but I was still terrified. The walking persisted for about an hour. Eventually it stopped, but I kept the door barricaded, remained awake, and waited until the morning to open the door. I have not been back to sleep over at my aunt's house, and I likely never will. My Grandparents' New Home by Scotty When I was around four or five, my grandparents bought an empty lot beside my home and built a house. They picked that lot so they could live next to us. But later I discovered my grandmother had chosen it for, uh, different reasons. A thick mass of trees was behind my house and the lot my grandmother had bought, there was a well in those woods. Children had slipped, fallen into that well long ago and died. I'm not sure how many. There used to be a cabin on that land at some point. There was minimal trace of it still, only an outline of stone out in the trees. Why did they insist on it being the exact location? There was plenty of space everywhere else. She never really explained why the history of the place caused her to build there. She just felt that it called to her. I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house. They were unusual people to say the least. They were Catholic but had a strange obsession with the supernatural. My grandmother would drive for hours, miles upon miles, to buy dolls that were supposed to be haunted. Mind you, this was in the early 1990s. She didn't have the internet at the time. So, she had to find out about these dolls by word of mouth and the contacts she had. She was obsessed with those dolls. She lived in a larger two-story house, but people rarely used the second story. She had transformed the two upstairs bedrooms into spirit bedrooms. At least, that's what she called them. They had beds, dresses, and toys. 
They looked just like standard bedrooms. I was allowed to go up there and play. Heck, I even slept up there sometimes. I never heard or saw anything whenever I was in those rooms either. Whenever I was playing or sleeping, nothing. But when I was downstairs, I'd listen to all kinds of noises coming from those rooms. Lots of laughter and children playing. Sometimes the bedroom doors would lock themselves from the inside then magically unlock later. When I got older, my grandmother told me of her experience with demons and how she had even been attacked by one. She even claimed that when she was younger, the devil himself had entered her bedroom. I never knew what to make of her stories, but she always stuck to them. She claimed that my grandfather had let them into their lives years ago and that she just learned to adjust. I never knew who she was referring to, but I assumed she meant demons. My grandfather did some things, but I never got the whole story. Since both of my grandparents are dead now, I don't think I ever will. My Haunted House Stories by Blue-Eyed Devil Since I was a kid, my sixth sense has always been spot on. I'm very good at reading others' energy. I have guts and feelings that are hardly ever wrong, and I have dreams about things that have yet to happen. So when weird, unexplainable things happen, I usually shrug it off and do my business. So about 12 years ago, my spouse, oldest daughter, and I moved into a two-story condo. Each building was four condos side by side. The first time seeing the apartment, we did a walkthrough, I didn't really have any gut feelings or pick up any nasty negative energy. So a week later, my spouse and I were moving our belongings into the new place. I suddenly get hit with anxiety, nervousness, and fear as I go upstairs. I tried to push the feelings away, chalking it up to moving and being in a new place. After a couple of weeks, the feelings hadn't gone away entirely, and I was scared of going upstairs by myself and refused to do it. Then, our daughter started waking up in the middle of the night screaming like someone was trying to murder her. One of those nights, I went into her room to retrieve her. Fear and panic overcame me to the point that my daughter and I would be harmed if I didn't leave the room at that moment. From that night on, any time I went to lie my daughter down after putting her to sleep, she would instantly wake up and cry for me to pick her up. Then my spouse and I would hear loud footsteps going up or down the stairs all hours of the night, only to get up and, you guessed it, no one was there. We also saw shadows moving and items missing, and searched the entire condo only to return and find them where we had left them. After eight months of living there, my spouse got a new job, and we did eventually move to a new city. After moving into our new place, another two-story condo, not long after we settled in, weird and unexplainable things started happening. My daughter at the time was only three, and I would wake up at all hours of the night to find her having full-blown conversations with no one. Our sliding closet doors would open by themselves after I knew they were closed. One morning, I was getting ready for work. I was the only one there when four different toys in my daughter's room started going off. The cycle went on three or four times before I got so scared and ran out of the condo and finished getting ready at work. Not long after this happened, we had to move to another place because the neighbor's water heater flooded the bottom part of the condo. When packing up my daughter's room, I couldn't find any of the toys making the sounds from that day. In our new place, after getting settled, I started getting the feeling of being watched and someone standing behind me, 
all the time. On several occasions, I had a bedroom and laundry door slam in my face right as I was ready to walk into them. Of course, there wasn't anyone around that could have done it. The most terrifying thing that happened to me there, my daughter and I were in my bed. She was in a profound sleep when all of a sudden, she sat up, looked me dead in the eyes, and proceeded to tell me about my deceased father, whom she had never met or knew anything about. When she was done, she lay back down and went back to sleep like nothing had ever happened. When I asked her about it the following day, she didn't even remember doing it. Later, that same night, I'm having a little intense nightmare that I somehow managed to wake myself up from, only to feel someone or something grab me around my ankle, almost jerking me off the bed. Whatever it was only had three fingers and sharp nails digging into my skin. Looking at my ankle, I could see the indentations from where the nails were digging. We have since moved again, and whatever was following or attached to me or us is still around. Blessed items are placed around our house to form a protective barrier. It seemed to be doing the trick for now, but things are starting up again, and honestly, I'm at my wit's end with all of it. I would appreciate anyone who could point me in the right direction or help me with this situation. I'm sorry if this story wasn't as scary as the rest of them, but this is my life currently. Hellhound Activity by Death Raptor Gamer Hey Swamp Dweller, I will first say that this is not my first story here, as I've had experiences with the supernatural before this. For some context, I am an 18-year-old male student at a government-funded trade school on the Pacific coast of the United States and these occurrences have been going on since before I even arrived on campus. First, I will state that no wolves, coyotes, or stray dogs are near the campus, but we do get a large number of wildlife like black-tailed deer, bald eagles, crows, gulls, raccoons, and other small critters. My first experience with this entity was around two months ago while living in my first dorm room, close to midnight. The room was the last in the hall, and the large window faced the thick forest surrounding the campus. One night, while I was lying in bed while my roommate was asleep next to me, I heard an odd sound coming from the hallway outside of our room. It sounded like claws clacking against the tile floor, which I was used to hearing as my parents had a dog back at home whose feet would clack on the hardwood floor. These sounded much heavier though, and put me on edge as we weren't allowed to have dogs on center, and that went for the staff as well. And like I said earlier, there are no wild canids here, so this was utterly bizarre to me. Where and why were these footfalls occurring? And in the building itself, how is it possible? I was deeply concerned, so I woke my roommate up and explained what I had heard. I thought he wouldn't believe me, but surprisingly, he did. You heard it too, he said, as I opened the door and looked into the hallway only to find nothing there. I remember asking him what he meant, and he proceeded to explain how he had heard the same clacking at least three times around the same time, and he even described hearing deep howls echoing in the night. We began discussing and hypothesizing on what we were both experiencing and concluded that we were both somehow in some sort of circle of a hellhound activity. After ruling out all plausible and natural possibilities, our campus has a rich history of tragedy and loss, 
from homicides to suicides all within the past 90 years of our campus, which we felt was attracting negative entities like our suspected hellhound onto the center. I then began asking around after determining our culprit, trying to see if anyone else had encountered or had an experience with what we had dubbed the hound. A surprising number of people had experienced the activity that we did, and even a guy who had seen it. By the time I finished asking around, I had at least 12 individuals from the dorms who had experiences with the hound. I wrapped up our investigation, and things returned to normal for about a week until the weekend rolled around. I was lying in bed again with the window open when I finally heard the sound. I had been anticipating since my roommate explained the howls he had heard. It was a howl, deep and guttural, just like the one he had described. I told my roommate in the morning, and he believed me, telling me he'd even been awake and heard it too. I have even consulted my fiancé about this, and they're pretty determined that we're not making stuff up, but they look at things from a critical scientific standpoint. She came up with something short of determining the identity of what we experienced, but I'm pretty sure this is still a hellhound, or at least maybe some sort of ghost dog, but me and my roommate, we've moved out of that room. And now we don't experience these things anymore. University Ghost Experiences by Anonymous This happened a while ago but still haunts me. I really don't know how to compartmentalize it. And if I hadn't had a friend with me who saw and experienced the exact same thing, I would chalk it up to something I imagined. I'll keep my name and my friend's name out of this story, as I don't want notoriety for it. But I would like to explain exactly where it happened, as I would love to hear if anyone else has experienced anything similar to what my friend and I experienced that night. This happened back on October 13th, 1988. It was cold, and it was a Thursday evening. My friend and I had been at the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls, Iowa since August, and it was our freshman year. We lived in some of the oldest dorms on campus. Her in Lothar Hall, and me in Bartlett Hall. We were just out for a walk after finishing studying and we both felt like wandering and exploring. My friend had heard that they were working on making a haunted house in Lothar and that some of her friends were working on it, so we decided to try and find where it was happening. Neither of us were awfully familiar with the full layout of the hall, so we were just kind of bumbling around, seeing what we could see. Apparently the haunted house was being made in the attic, so we made our way up the stairs to the highest level. However, the large doors at the very top of the center stairwell were locked and had dark fabric hanging from them on the other side. We could not hear anyone talking or moving on the other side, so we figured we would check out the floor below it. Down to the next floor, we found a very quiet floor with dorm rooms, and the width of the center stairwell was where a fire door was up to the right. And to the left, there was another fire door, but the door on the left looked older and was painted wood, not steel like the other. A quick look through the door to the right showed us a continuation of the hallway and more dorm rooms. Walking over to the door on the left, we noticed that there was a bathroom door to the left of the wooden door. This will be important later. I tried the handle on the door, 
and it would not turn. Believing it to be locked, I figured that was the end of exploring that floor. As I was turning away, I heard a metallic sound and my friend gasped in surprise. She said she grabbed the knob and then it turned in her hand the opposite direction she was going to turn it, and then she pulled away from it. I turned around quickly to see her now looking into a dark room with a now partially open door. My friend carefully pushed the door open wider and walked in looking around for a light switch. She had walked in far enough that I could no longer see her very well, and I looked along the left-hand side of the door frame for a light switch, finding nothing at what I felt would be the normal height for a switch. I arced my arm wider and found an antiqued-style switch that it was about head height. Just as I was about to flip the switch, the light came on, but instinctively, I still flipped the switch, shutting them back off again. Again, my friend gasped, and I flipped the switch back, turning the lights back on. She had found another switch on a large timber pillar farther into the room. Looking around, we saw a large room, easily 100 feet long and 40 to 50 feet wide. There were two large dark wood staircases that crisscrossed each other that led up to a loft area that lined the walls. Large windows lined the room as well as old-style hospital beds from the early 1900s. There was also an old-style wheelchair that looked like it had old ECG machines or something on it. On the other far end of the room, there was another door like the one we had entered, and there was light coming from under the door. While we were both fascinated by the room, something just felt wrong, like we were not supposed to be there. We both just left without saying much and just assumed that might be part of the setup for the Halloween house. Much later, my friend was talking to another one of her friends about the haunted house and asked how the hospital set ties into the whole thing. She was met with a blank stare. Long story short, this leads her to ask me what I remember about the room. I mentioned the large windows. We looked off on the side of Lothar Hall and could find no such windows. I suggested to my friend that we look to possibly find some sort of blueprints or maybe we can look for the door again, but we were never able to find it. We explored everywhere, but upon us finding this set of windows that kind of looked like it, we looked into it and we could see that there was nowhere near enough room to have a second floor loft and large windows like we saw. We tried doing research to find out if Lothar Hall ever had a room like that, and maybe tore it down, but no luck. In 1991, we got the help of a couple of resident assistants to get us a key to check out what was on the other side of that door. Entering now, the low-pitched ceilings, tiny alcoves with small windows, and lots of junk and storage. Wandering farther into the back of the attic storage space, we found several of the hospital bed frame heads and footboards in a much greater state of decay. The wheelchair and the machine thing, all covered in thick dust and cobwebs. I don't know what was, what was happening that day. I don't know if we stumbled upon some alternate dimension, maybe some portal slip in time, I have no idea. Maybe it was another timeline, another universe. I don't know, but I just remember how things felt so wrong when we stumbled into that room. I wondered what would have happened if we stayed there too long, and where we would be now. My Mother's Childhood Trauma by 
Anonymous. This story happened to my mom back when she was just 10 years old and forced to live with her grandparents as her mother couldn't afford to raise all four siblings. She moved to a small town in Guatemala, outside of the capital city. Every night, she was sent to collect buckets of water from the sink located in the back of the house. As it was the main source of water for them, no one lived in this house, so it was always empty. The walk from the main house was about a five minute walk, so that should have been an easy chore turned into a nightmare. This is when her encounters with La Shinhuanaba began. The first time she saw her, it was pitch dark, and at first everything seemed normal. At the time, they had no electricity, and so she carried an oil lamp with one hand to light the way. It was about 10 p.m., and as she approached the sink, she stopped dead in her tracks. Alone in the dark appeared a white glowing figure, standing a couple of feet away from her. The figure didn't move or say a word. It just stood there. Absolutely appalled, she stood frozen as shivers ran through her body. She couldn't move or scream. She wanted to run, but was filled with fear and became inanimate. The figure was a beautiful, tall, slender woman with shiny long hair who wore a white dress and had hooves as feet. Her face was hidden, but she knew it wasn't human. It was in that moment. She realized it was it was real. It was not a myth. The tales described to her as a child of a supernatural creature that takes the form of a gorgeous woman who would lure men or a woman away before revealing her true face, a horse or human skull. Desperately, she closed her eyes as she knew she couldn't face her. Panicking, she grabbed her cross necklace and silently prayed for five minutes until the coldness left her body. Slowly, she opened her eyes again and nervously inspected her surroundings. The witch had vanished. She walked rapidly but cautiously towards the sink and collected what she needed. Then she ran back to the house and didn't tell a soul. For the next five years, she would relive this nightmare every single night. It was dreadful for her to walk outside as she knew what was waiting for her. She would always present herself with the long, beautiful white hair in the same spot and same time. All my mother could do was close her eyes and pray repeatedly until the figure was gone. She never told her grandparents or anyone what she was witnessing though. It wasn't until she turned 15, when she moved back with her mother to Guatemala City, that everything stopped. I Think We Saw Aliens by Anonymous This story takes place on a lake in central New Hampshire, just a few miles north of the base of Mount Kersarge. My friend has a cabin there, and his grandfather built it shortly after returning from the Second World War, and one warm summer night between my junior and senior years of high school, he and I were there, just hanging out. While we did drink and partake in the ganja from time to time, we were not intoxicated in any way on this night. We had simply been bored in our little hometown about 30 miles or approximately 48 kilometers to the south. So on a whim one evening, we decided to drive up and spend the night there to light a fire and sit by the water on the beach chairs. 
and enjoy the nighttime t-shirt and swimming trunks weather while it lasted. I would say it was around 9 or 10 p.m., and we had gotten up to inspect his grandfather's old canoe that laid upside down atop the wooden dock because we wanted to use it the next day to head to the Lone Island to look for loon nests and try to catch some catfish. As we walked to the dock from where we had been sitting, I gazed across the lake at Mount Kirsarge. The mountain has a height of 2,937 feet, or 895 meters, and a prominence of 2,080 feet, or 630 meters. So, since it was basically 2,000 feet straight up from our position, as we were only a couple of miles from its summit, it was quite an imposing figure in the night sky. Now the mountain has a tower on the peak that flashes a red light at night. There is only one light and it is red. I had seen it many times before. It was just a fact, however, as I followed my friend to the dock that I noticed there were more than two lights on this night. In addition to the usual red flashing light, there was a second yellowish orange orb to its right, essentially equidistant in height. It was not moving, flashing, pulsating, nothing. It just hung there, motionless in the night sky. I told my friend who was immediately interested, and so we were both just stood there, transfixed for a while before he asked me what the hell I thought it was. I would have immediately considered a helicopter, but it was just so still and silent. After just a few moments of silent staring, we both shrugged our shoulders and continued down to the canoe at the end of the dock. We inspected it for a while, placing it in the lake to check for leaks and decided that it was good to go, which was exciting, as we were really looking forward to getting on the water. After lugging it back to the original resting position, I turned to my right and bent down to wash the cobwebs off my fingers in the lake. As I was doing this, I returned my gaze to the mountain, and to my amazement, there were now two identical orbs, one on either side of the red flashing light. I smacked my friend across the shoulder and told him to look up, and again, we just stared transfixed, albeit this time a little more anxiety-ridden. What the hell? My friend said, with a bit of fear creeping into his voice. Without averting our gaze, we backpedaled to our chairs and began discussing possibilities. It is important to note that both of us were science-believing realists, and still are to this day. We both accepted the distinct possibility that we, humanity, we're most likely not alone in this never-ending galaxy, let alone the universe. Something. All the grains of sand on Earth. You know, the old Carl Sagan adage. So, as we sat, discussing both the Fermi paradox and the likelihood that it was just some sort of temporary, human-made thing going on top of the mountain, something happened. Before our eyes, one of the orbs slowly descended below the backside of the mountain and out of sight. I'm sorry. I know I am no aeronautical engineer or anything, but I know what a helicopter looks like when it descends in elevation. This was not like that at all. It sunk down and out of sight in less than just a few seconds, very smoothly, all without making any lateral movement whatsoever. We were stunned, but before we had time to wallow in this feeling or think that we could have possibly seen something unnatural, the other orb took off from its position. It did not gain or lose any elevation. It just took off horizontally at breakneck speed and began to make its way around the edge of the lake. It was not until the light was about halfway between its starting point and our position that we began to consider that it might be heading straight for us. 
We stood still at the shore and followed the objects with our eyes. Out of sheer curiosity and without speaking, we both made an unconscious decision to wait and see what would happen. I mean, what else were we supposed to do? At no point did we talk or look at each other. We just stood there, watching. Without leaving you in suspense for too long, the object did eventually arrive to where we were, and upon its arrival, it slowed to a crawl and crept over us at a snail's pace. It was big. Not stereotypically mothership big, but big. I do not know exactly, but if I had to estimate, I would say it was about 50 meters in length by 30 meters in width. It was shaped like a fat cigar and had two or three rows of orange lights on its bottom. I cannot tell you what my friend was doing or how he was reacting at this time, for I was entranced. I remember thinking that I had never had an opportunity to view something like this, and I probably would never get another chance again. It was a once in a lifetime experience, so I stared intensely, examining anything and everything about it that I could. Unfortunately, there were not many details that I could make out only its approximate dimensions and the rows of lights. It made no real sounds aside from what I perceived to be a very, very faint humming. There were no beams of light shooting down at us or anything like that. We stood in the pitch blackness of the late New Hampshire night, and I remember preparing myself for something to happen to us. But as far as I know, nothing ever did. As soon as it had crept its way past us, it took off as fast as it had appeared, up into the night sky and out of sight. At that point, I shot my head back across the lake towards the mountain. There was nothing but the normal, flashing red light remaining. All appeared to be back to normal. I do not think we said anything to each other aside from, let's get out of here, or something to that effect, before grabbing what little we had brought with us and hightailing it back to my friend's car. We drove the 30 miles back to our hometown, purchased some snacks at the convenience store, and returned to his house where we proceeded to set up the same beach chairs that we had brought with us to the lake in his backyard, where we stayed up for most of the night, talking about what the hell we had just seen. For the next few weeks, my mind had hardly focused on anything else. I told my parents at some point, but they sort of just laughed it off, telling me that it must have been a helicopter or something like that. And after their reaction, I decided not to tell anyone else. Not until I was older and gave no crap about what people would think of me, It was only then that I began to tell my trusted friends about what happened that night. My friend and I have since parted ways. We live across an ocean from each other now and talk from time to time. In fact, it has been a few years since one of us brought it up. However, sitting here and writing this down, it just now made me want to reach out and talk with him again. I know what I saw, and it was not constructed by humanity. We do not have that sort of technology, at least not that we know of. And if we do, There is far more hidden from the average citizen of the earth than I thought possible. But I am digressing into conspiracy theories now, and that is a path that I try not to go down. The fact is that the possibility that we are alone in the universe is so microscopically small. Consider this, there are billions of planets out there that are much, much older than earth. All it would take is one of them to have developed intelligent life a few million years before us, giving them a massive head start in the development and technology scheme that would allow them to create machines that could do what these objects are. Thank you for sharing my story, Swamp Dweller. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to these creepy and downright strange and allegedly true unexplained horror stories. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I ain't messing with no ghosts or demons anytime soon. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to slap that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it and that helps some fresh new people see these episodes. If you're new to the swamp, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you don't miss a new episode. I upload them multiple times a week in all things natural and supernatural. If you're on the go, but don't have YouTube Premium, but want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, absolutely free, you can download them from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. I do want to thank every single one of you who support the Swamp the way you do. I couldn't do this on a daily basis without you all. I just wanted to mention at the end of this video to everybody who did make it to the end, I will be on tour in just about two weeks now. So if you live in the southeast of the United States, that's going to be Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and Tennessee, I would love to meet you guys. You can find more details to that in the description and pinned comment. I will be touring with my metal band, we're playing some music, having some good times. I would love to meet all you swamp dwellers that are in the area. Thank you guys, as always. I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.